The Common Dean. The older bog was old and overstood. The last time it had been cropped was 1916, when travelling clogmakers camped in Bothis by the brook and felled the trees for the men in the trenches of France. Since then, the coppice had grown unkempt and was a dark acre. For the first year after he came to live in the house on the field above, he cleared the rotten trunks and branches, carrying them on his shoulder. The next year he began. The coppice was nearly dead. If worked, it was everlasting. But now the stands of alder were too tall, too close. The underlife was choked. When he went into the bog, he lost the world beyond. The stands were so thick that he could not see how far they reached. Although he knew the acre, it felt to have no end, and the light gave him no direction and no time. The silence held ancient noise. Only by the patterns of lichen and moss, which were thickest on the north side of the bark, could he tell the way out. The floor was leaves, black water and black mud, held by the surface roots that ran from the alder stools, the flat, wide, living base from which the stands grew. He had to place his feet and not linger. If he did, or if he misjudged a step, the crust would give and take his leg into the marsh. He had to get free of the suck before the other leg was caught. And it was not his weight alone, he had to know. The crust told him what load of tree he might carry. The ditch was hard. Coppices were shielded from the wild, and though the deer were gone, the ditch and bank that kept them out remained. Each load had to be thrown over and picked up again. Then the climb to the house. The railway boundary was a relic line of ash, with hedges running from it to the brook a corridor for predator and prey. Alder mixed with ash burnt hot. He did not take the oaks along the bank, but when beetles killed the elms, he wore out a bowsaw blade to win three trees and snapped the helm of a sledge in their rending. And the grain in the wood could drop its branches on him with no sound. Old English had said it, Elum mon hateth, and waiteth. The bog was safest in frost, when the leaves were stiff and stuck together. They let him carry a stone more. Snow was not safe. It blurred the feet to the feel of roots, and when the rain and February thaw came, the crust was too soft to bear. 
Then he left the coppice and went along the valley of the Common Dean, following the brook by the old road through the tunnel under the railway, its arch curtained with a drape of ivy, to the trees of the Marl Pits. Here the world was different. There was no guzzling bog, but a green causeway reclaimed by bramble and alder, sycamore, hazel, ash, and strays seeded by birds with space and light to grow, and celandine in season, and the wild garlic smell. And on either side of the causeway lay the pools of the pits, eyes of black water dug for marl, the lime-rich clay beneath the silt to fetch life to the hungry sands of the field. The waters hid their depth and were mirrors for the trees and sky, their surface still in every wind, and each a trap. The sides went down twenty feet and gave no hold, swallowing any weight they caught. In childhood lore, marl pits were bottomless. Here once a horse the strong shire strayed and slipped, but its strength made it sink the faster in the ooze. Ropes and grapples could not get it out, and the farmer shot it as its head went under. He could lift heavier loads from the marlpit wood, but it was further to the house, and after felling, trimming, cutting into lengths, he carried each weight a quarter of a mile along the causeway, through the tunnel, up the field, and tipped across the hedge into the yard. Next, whether from the bog or from the pits, there was the cleaving. Alder and ash were sweet. He set the steel wedge at the end of the cut, tapped with the sledge until it bit, then swung. The short lengths from the bog split in one go. The lengths from the marl pits needed a second wedge to ripple open the trunk. A tree had to be quartered and the quarter sawn to 18 inches for the fire, then stacked into the house. An alder would last two weeks. Elm could not be trusted to fall clean. The saw hit crossing grain and jammed. The only way to save the twisted blade was to drive wedges in to ease the grip, and they must be hammered sideways to be free. And all the time, the elm might kill. Elm's cold as corpse light his grandfather had told him. It wants Thorn to make it go. And as he sweated, he remembered other wisdom. Wood warms three times, once to get, once to fettle, once to burn, the old man said. To fell the tree, he first chose the line of four, so that it did not snag in other branches. If it did, he had to take the necks as well, and that was danger. A leaning trunk could not be governed. 
He set his feet where the roots were thickest as they left the stool. He made a level cut low on the side where the tree should drop and then began the main cut higher, sloping a little downward on the other side. The blade swished back and to. He went at the saw's rate, not hurrying, not pausing. The trunk sat quiet and he watched the line of the teeth in the wood. When the line opened, he stopped and listened. If the tree was still, he began again, but now softly, careful, listening, until the wood spoke. He stopped, listened, began again. The line opened to a thin mouth. He took the saw out and listened, put it back and moved with gentleness until he heard the tree grieve. He stood off and the mouth gawped and the top levered the weight so that it fell with grace, peeling the bark to the small cut and came free. A moment of long silence in the air, then the crash and the floor quaked. A greater silence hushed all sound. The white sap turned to blood. So he renewed the tamed wild. He cleared from the centre, and with the light each year growth came, and flowers returned, and with the flowers life. A robin disputed the saw. Fire on a wedge from a mishit sledge hammers the dusk of another day in the yard hewing alder. The wood that grew splits telling years saw cleave and the spark dies in the air alder reddens to logs. We were all the sun. Round and round the fire flies forever in veins the ropes of blood keep the same heat. And though it slept, the spark waits somewhere between wits and the swung hammer and the steel in the wood that grew, memory, promise or threat. We are the same waiting in the dark yard. Archaeologists came and troweled one of the Bronze Age barrows near the house. With the burnt bone, they found the turves that built the burial mound, and in them the pollen of the plants that lived then. Willow, hazel, ivy, ash, alder, lime, elm, pine and oak, moss, fern, bracken, heather, sedge and gorse, meadowsweet, vetch, daisy, Buttercup, spelt, grass, cornspurry, wheat, dandelion, chickweed and fat hen. Four thousand years ago, the wild was cleared and gone. All was fields, farms, ploughs, crops, cattle, order, rule. 
an open world. The dead men that now fed the ground had worked the same land.